Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean O' Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Welcome back to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. We are full-fledged into holiday season. Thanksgiving is only a week away. So let me ask a really important question because, you know, this, these things are important to me. Is your Christmas tree up already? <laughs> At my house, we're spreading Christmas cheer already. Our lights will go up on Monday. The tree is already up and the house is almost done being decorated. And this is pretty late for us because we're, like I said, we're Christmas people. Um, we'll be spending Thanksgiving in Alabama. So we skipped the harvest decorations this year, but we are still very grateful, very thankful for all that we've been blessed with. And that includes you and you guys listening to the podcast every week. Okay. So For today's show, I've had several questions about rupture of membranes or patients who break their water. So I felt that it was pertinent that we talk about it today. During pregnancy, the fetus or the baby inside of the uterus is inside a fluid-filled sac called the amniotic sac. And when this sac gets a hole in it or it's ruptured, patients experience a large gush of fluid and that is the amniotic fluid that is gushing out. And that is called rupture of membranes, or as most people say, your water has broken. If this happens after 37 weeks or at the point where you're full term, and so remember, full term is anywhere from 37 on up. So 40 weeks is your due date, but you can deliver even after that. So 37 on up. So if this happens after that 37th week, and after the onset of labor or when you're, you start having contractions that cause your cervix to dilate, then we call this spontaneous rupture of membranes. Okay, And if you haven't been listening to the show that long, let me break down. So the baby lies inside of the uterus, inside of the amniotic sac, right? The opening to the uterus is called the cervix. And the cervix has to dilate fully in order for you to push the baby out through the vagina. Okay, So if you're contracting, you already have dilation of the cervix. That is the onset of labor. If that happens after the 37th week, then that's full-term labor. Anything 37 weeks and up, full-term labor, okay? So that can be up to three weeks before your due date, okay? So if you rupture then uh, and you're contracting already, then that's just spontaneous rupture membranes. Now, if this happens after the 37th week, but you aren't contracting, you're not dilated, then we call this premature rupture of membranes okay you're full term but you haven't started laboring yet so it's premature rupture of membranes if this happens before the 37th week then this is called preterm premature 
rupture of membranes. Okay, so we abbreviate premature rupture of membranes. So your water broke, you're over 37 weeks, but you're not dilated, PROM. And we abbreviate if your water is broken before the 37th week, P-PROM. Okay, so preterm premature rupture of membranes. So you'll see that in your record if that happens to you. Anytime your water breaks, you'll uh, whether you're full term or not, you need to go to the hospital, okay? Or you need to call your delivering provider. If you're delivering at home, you contact your provider and let them know so they can come over because that means that you're in labor. And even if it happens before the onset of labor, if you're 37 weeks and up, you need to be put into labor, okay? That means that something is coming. And usually if you've ruptured after 37 weeks, even if you're not contracting, you're not dilating, eventually on your own, you could naturally start to contract because that fluid decompressing the uterus will will automatically uh, help start contracting and signal your body, hey, my cervix needs to start ripening. It needs to start to dilate. So usually after that, you will go into labor even if you haven't already, okay? But let me be clear in this. If your plan was to deliver at home and you're preterm and your water has broken, your plan has now changed. <laughs> you are now delivering in the hospital, okay? There's no more home births if you are before 37 weeks. A home birth is just out of the question. You need urgent care and a timely delivery. So the biggest issue with the preterm premature rupture of membranes is prematurity, okay? The earlier you rupture, the greater the risk of complications of prematurity to your baby are. So if you rupture early and you aren't dilated, your OBGYN would work with someone like me, a maternal fetal medicine specialist, to evaluate why you ruptured and to figure out a plan for your pregnancy, meaning delivery timing and things like that. And so when I say why you ruptured. Let's talk about some of the reasons you could have ruptured. So some people rupture because they've started bleeding or the placenta has started separating from the inside of the uterus. Um, blood is an irritant, so it can cause you to contract going to labor and even your water breaking. So that could be the reason you rupture. So we look at the placenta and see if it's intact and is anything going on. Sometimes your water could break because your body is literally going into labor, especially if you're super duper early. That could be signs that, hey, there's a chromosomal abnormality there. So we'll look and evaluate your genetic test. The body naturally tries to handle itself. So if you have a baby that has a, a chromosomal abnormality, you have a much higher risk of going into labor spontaneously earlier than somebody that has a chromosomally normal baby. So we want to make sure that that's not going on. Even if your baby is chromosomally normal, if you have a baby that has a defect, like a heart defect, a brain defect, those are reasons that your body naturally could go into labor, okay? Um, now, if you have a baby that has what's called anencephaly, meaning no brain, missing a large chunk of the brain, and no skull covering that brain, those people actually don't go into labor prematurely. They Because you need, uh, so the, the signal of labor actually comes from the baby, okay? It doesn't come from you. It comes from the baby. So the baby releases hormones that then interact with your hormones to cause you to go into labor, okay? And so if the baby is missing that area of the brain that triggers labor, um, or triggers its adrenal glands to start working, uh, then 
those people actually are, are post-term. Like we have to induce a lot of people that have babies that have major brain defects. But if it's not a major brain defect, like a heart defect or a minor brain defect or any other type of defect, then that could cause you to go into labor because the body is naturally trying to take care of itself. Um, the other piece is if you have too much fluid around the baby, uncontrolled diabetes, if you have a baby that has a defect like a called a tracheoesophageal fistula or a connection of the windpipe and the esophagus, which carries food, if there's a connection there, it can cause issues with the baby swallowing fluid. That means that you're going to have more fluid on the outside of the baby than Way too much fluid causes over-distension of the uterus, which can cause your water to break. So that in itself could be a reason that your water has broken. And we will evaluate that as well. And then obviously, if you have trauma, like you've fallen, um, if you have domestic violence, we'll ask you those questions. We're not trying to be offensive, but we have to make sure there's nothing physically that has caused your water to break, especially if you are less than uh, 37 weeks. Premature rupture of membranes, if between 23 to 24 weeks, is managed in the hospital. Don't ask us if you can go home. No, the answer is no. You have to be managed in the hospital. And why is that? And this is due to the risk of complications with your water being broken, such as placental abruption. So we talked about that a little, a little bit briefly. That's when the placenta detaches from the inside wall of the uterus. Okay, when the uterus decompresses. Um, because there's no fluid around the baby, all of a sudden that rapid decompression will also cause the placenta to say, wait, we're supposed to be out of here, right? Why did the size of the uterus just decrease by half? And the placenta can start to separate prematurely. Um, this can cause you to have a lot of pain and a lot of heavy bleeding. And so we're monitoring you every day, every couple of hours really, inpatient for signs of smaller Abruptions. So if you have a little bit of bleeding, if you have a little bit of pain, we're going to look and see how much um, separation of the placenta that you have and whether or not you need to be delivered. Okay. If you have a small abruption, that can progress to a very large abruption. So you need to be in the hospital just in case you need a blood transfusion, just in case you need an urgent um, delivery, because that blood or that heavy bleeding could mean that you can lose your baby. It can mean that you even lose your own life, okay, if you lose so, too much blood. So we want to make sure we are very, very careful if that's the case. You have a risk of your labor progressing. So this is why you need to be in the hospital as well. So your body has already proven that you can go into labor, okay? So if your water's broken, that's like a sign of labor. So we have to monitor you for signs of labor progression, which means are you contracting now because your water's broken? You know, we want to make sure we know that. Are you starting to dilate? How's the baby reacting to your water breaking? Because if you don't have fluid around the baby, that fluid, the baby's going to constantly urinate and the placenta is going to continue to make fluid and it's going to continue to leak out. But that may not be enough to cushion the uh, umbilical cord. And so there's a higher risk of that umbilical cord coming out, especially if you're dilated, coming out through the cervix, and that can cause compression of that cord, or the baby compressing the cord in and of itself inside of the uterus. And so we monitor you, and we look for signs on the tracing of the baby to make sure that the baby is doing well, okay? And we have normal blood flow from the placenta through the umbilical cord. So that's another reason that you need to be in the hospital. The third reason, infection, right? The longer you rupture, the more likely you are to get an infection. 
and an infection inside of the uterus is called chorioamnionitis. Babies don't do well in infected fluid. So this requires a delivery, okay? It doesn't matter what gestational age you are. If we sense that you have infection, which we look for as the baby's heart rate being above 160 consistently, you having a fever, and you having tenderness at the top of your uterus, and the top of your uterus is called the fundus. If you have fundal tenderness, then those are signs that you're infected. Other things that give us a clue but aren't diagnostic, if your white blood cell count is elevated. White blood cell count can be elevated just because of the pregnancy, but it shouldn't be elevated usually above about 15, okay? 11 to 15 still is okay in pregnancy. If it's above that, we start to look and say, ah, what's going on here? Let's monitor a little bit closer. Uh, if your... Um, if you have tachycardia, um, that can be also a sign that you have choreo. But if your baby uh, is not tacky, then we, we can still sort of kind of monitor you. Other things that can cause you to have a white blood cell count, if you have steroids um, that we do give you for fetal lung maturity if you're ruptured, because we don't know when you're going to go into labor. So we give you steroids to accelerate lung um, maturation. Uh, that could be uh, a reason that you have elevated white count. So that's why it's not reliable. There can be a lot of other things that cause you have elevated white count. But your white count shouldn't be elevated after about five to seven days of getting steroids. So if it's elevated after that, that's still a clue like something else could be brewing, okay? So, um, so additionally, moms that get infections inside of the uterus or chorioamnionitis can get really sick really fast because this infection can seed into the bloodstream and cause sepsis or septic shock. And we don't want that to happen. That can progress very quickly and you can get really sick really fast. So we want to make sure you're in the hospital to monitor that. And then lastly, one of the big things that's not directly related to rupture, but it's related to bed rest because when you've ruptured, we don't want you doing, we don't want you on the treadmill. We don't want you on the Peloton. We don't want you walking. We don't want you working. We want you to sort of take it easy. Um, so the big thing, uh, one of the big things is, is a blood clot or deep vein thrombosis. And I do have an episode on that, that you guys should probably go back and listen to. But a deep vein thrombosis or what we abbreviate as DVT can happen. Since you're on bed rest, you have a high risk of developing a blood clot. Pregnancy in itself is a risk factor. And then when we put you basically laying there, not really doing anything, that increases your risk even more. If that blood clot in your leg or DVT migrates to the lung, that's called a pulmonary embolism. And we don't want that to happen because if you get a big one, it could stop blood flow um, uh, to the lung. Um, that can cause you to have some right-sided heart strain. It can cause you not to be able to get good oxygen. Uh, it could even cause cardiac arrest. So we don't want that to happen. And um, so you need to be in the hospital because we put these little sequential compression devices on your legs to stop that from happening or to at least decrease your risk from that happening. So depending on how early you rupture, your provider will make sure you have a consult, like I said, with someone like me, as well as a neonatologist or abbreviated as NICU, N-I-C-U, a neonatal intensive care unit provider. And you'll be given steroids, okay, or betamethasone or dexamethasone to help accelerate the baby's lungs. Um, steroids also, in turn, also help decrease the, lo the longevity of NICU stay. And so it's beneficial for that as well. And then magnesium, they'll give you um, for about 12 hours, maybe even longer than that if they think that you're going into labor and your labor is progressing. 
Um, that helps stabilize little brain cells. That helps prevent complications of prematurity called uh, intraventricular hemorrhage, uh, as well as um, seizures. Now, intraventricular hemorrhage is the same thing as a baby stroke, okay? So the membranes of the brain are very uh, unstable in pregnancy. So, I mean, in prematurity. So those babies that are born premature have a higher risk of having little bleeds in the brain. If they need to be on a ventilator, that can also increase the intracranial pressure, and those babies are also more likely to have hemorrhage. So the earlier you are, the more likely you are to, uh, you are to have hemorrhaging in the brain. Sometimes that can be reversible, but a lot of times that can t cause some permanent brain damage. So we want to prevent that from happening, and so the magnesium helps with that, okay? Now that you know a little more about spontaneous rupture of membranes and premature rupture of membranes, let's go to some cases. The first patient is 34-year-old who is 34 weeks pregnant with her first child. She was admitted yesterday due to premature rupture of membranes. She has a history of chronic hypertension, which is managed on labetalol and nifedipine. The baby is also small for gestational age. Measuring right at the ninth percentile. You were consulted because the patient does not want steroids because she feels they will be harmful to her baby. She also wants to stay pregnant as long as possible and refuses delivery. She wants a second opinion. Okay, so let's dissect this case a little bit. So it sounds like you were ruptured. You've been ruptured since yesterday. You're 34 weeks and you have a history of high blood pressure. You're managed with two agents, so we will call you high-risk chronic hypertension, meaning you're somebody that's a little bit more difficult to control in terms of blood pressure, so you need to be on more than one agent, okay? And so that puts you at risk for having other things, like uh, puts you at risk for having preeclampsia and things like that. That can happen. Um, I'm not sure how controlled you are on that because the letter does not say that, but even, even so, with two agents, it's sort of like, ah, you're a little bit more difficult to control. Um, the baby's at the ninth percentile, which to me means, hey, your high blood pressure, you have underlying vascular damage, which we know a lot of people with chronic hypertension do have, but that has caused some level of placental insufficiency, okay? It could be the way the placenta implanted, but we know that people with chronic hypertension have a higher risk of basal constriction or vascular constriction, meaning the vessels, uh, the placenta not really getting good enough blood flow because of how it attaches to the placenta and how those arteries invade the wall of the uterus. Um, and so it does put you at risk for having a smaller baby just because the baby doesn't get a good enough blood flow. So you got a couple of things going on, okay? Small baby, high blood pressure. And now we've added a third thing with rupture of membranes. So what I usually recommend with anybody that has rupture of membranes is you should be delivered somewhere between 34 and 36 weeks. The newest guideline, meaning as of 2020, is pushing people to 36 weeks, okay? The pandemic happened after that new guideline, and so we were still putting people at 34 weeks. Why? Because we don't want to expose somebody to covid because we've had them in a hospital for two weeks, right? And the guideline says 34 to 36 weeks. And the people that make it to 36 weeks need to be perfect, okay? Meaning no issues, no uncontrolled diabetes, no uncontrolled high blood pressure. Like we are not gonna run the risk of something bad happening after 34 weeks. Why? Because if something happened after 34 weeks and the guideline says delivery at 34 to 36 weeks, and we let you go past that and you have high blood pressure and you got preeclampsia 
or you abrupted or your baby passed away because small babies have a high risk of stillbirth, then we would have no leg to stand on. So if I was your OB, uh, I would definitely recommend delivery at 34 weeks. And since you're ruptured already and you're 34 weeks, I would proceed with delivery because you are high risk for other things happening. Now, the exception is if like people are hell bent on not being delivered, then I would say, listen, the guideline says I can deliver you to 36 weeks, push you through 36 weeks. But I would counsel you thoroughly about these are the risks that you're incurring when you go past the 34th week. The risk that you could get preeclampsia because you have risk factors for preeclampsia. You're on two agents and you have high blood pressure. The risk that you could have a stillbirth. You have a small baby already. So anything below the 10th percentile is considered small. So you have to understand that risk. Okay, I get it. Moms want to push their babies as far as possible because they don't want their baby to be in the NICU. But you want your baby to be here. Okay, so I would tell you that that would be uh, those are the risks. And I could push you to 36 weeks if you agree with more frequent fetal monitoring and more frequent monitoring of your blood pressure to make sure nothing happens. Now, if there's any D cell, meaning your baby's heart rate dropped for 10 seconds, we got to agree that we got to move. Okay. If your blood pressures became elevated or you already have mild range blood pressures, that the, the buck stops there. We got to move. Okay. It's not safe to push you to the point where it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And at 34 weeks with steroids, the baby can walk out of the vagina and be all right. All right. If we can push everybody to 34 weeks, we'll be in a good place. We wouldn't have all these NICU beds filled. We wouldn't have these babies with all these cognitive delays and G-tubes and all this. 34-week babies do great. Literally, let them go out, the, let them walk out of the vagina and be free. 34 weeks, we're doing good, especially if you have a lot of other comorbidities that can increase your risk, okay? But like I said, if you're like, hey, I understand those risks, then they could push you to 37, 36 weeks. But 36 weeks is the absolute furthest that you could go from a medical legal standpoint, okay? Absolute furthest. Now let's talk about these steroids that you try not to get, okay? Steroids is our godsend, okay? It's just two doses. We know those two doses have a low risk of causing any issues with the baby. Yes, it crosses the placenta. We know that it is crossing the placenta and that's why we give it because we wanted to accelerate the baby's lungs, okay? Babies at 34 weeks, their biggest issue in the NICU is lungs and need to be on the ventilator and respiratory distress syndrome. That is their biggest risk, okay? So we want to decrease that risk as much as possible. And the only way we have to decrease that risk is steroids. And guess what? When your baby's delivered, guess what they're going to give your baby? Steroids, okay? Because they help proliferate lung tissue. So we want to give that because there's been more benefits shown giving steroids during the pregnancy than waiting until after delivery to give the pregnancy, uh, give it to the baby. But your baby's going to get steroids anyway after the delivery, okay? So... Not giving your baby steroids is so detrimental that when we don't give it to you, when we just deliver you and you are actually pretty stable, we have to justify that in the medical literature, in the medical record. Like somebody's reviewing the choice and saying, why did you not give this baby steroids before delivery? That's how important it is. Okay. If we miss it, we get in trouble. So you want steroids. I'm glad that your doctor brought up the fact that you need steroids because those make a huge difference. People with 34-week 34, 34 babies, especially if you have an African-American girl, they do the best, okay? 
34 week babies with steroids. Some of those don't even spend time in the NICU. They spend a couple of days there and they're going home with you versus not having steroids for every week a baby is born early. That's a week in the NICU. You're talking about six weeks in the NICU. Steroids make a huge difference. So please don't be silly about this one. Get the steroids. So that's my second opinion. I hope you abide by that. And the case pearl for this case is PPROM or preterm premature rupture of membranes should be conservatively managed until 34 to 36 weeks, depending on your comorbidity. Man management past that gestational age is just too risky and shouldn't be done. All right, medical intern, what's our second case? Our second case is a 28-year-old who is pregnant with her second child. She experienced PPROM at 25 weeks. She has no other medical problems. She has been stable during her three-week hospital admission. Previously, she didn't want intervention until she was 28 weeks. Now she has reached this gestational age. She would like to understand the risks of rupture of membranes and prognosis. A lot of patients are like this, so it depends on what state you're in. So for us, usually the NICU will tell us, you know, 23 to 24 weeks is that sort of like rough patch. And some NICUs can start to take care of people or intervene at 22 weeks in a couple of days. So at, at the biggest hospital system I have privileges at, 22 weeks and four days is where they say, hey, the baby might be big enough for us to intubate and get the tube down, right? 22 weeks and zero days, some of the eyes are still fused. So you really can't intervene. Like there's no no tube small enough to get down the trachea and the, it, it's just not big enough for us to intubate, okay? But some babies at 22 and four, if they're bigger babies, they can intubate. But usually 23 to 24 weeks is the, that sort of cutoff about intubation. 23 weeks and 500 gram size baby. Now, at 23 to 24 weeks, some patients say, I do not want to intervene for this baby because I know that the chance of survival is 40 to 50% and neurologically intact survival is only about 10 to 15%. So I have 85% chance of having a baby that is going to have some major problems. So I don't want to intervene. So most babies intervene, uh, most people intervene for their baby at 25 weeks, okay? So the fact that you're like, I didn't want intervention to 28 weeks is like, Ooh, I mean, it's smart, okay? And you can say, I don't want chest compressions or you don't want anything extensive, but most NICUs find it very hard not to intervene at 25 weeks. But I digress because you're 28 weeks. And 28 weeks, less than that, is considered extreme prematurity. Over 28 weeks, it's just prematurity. The point is, though, you're 28 weeks, but you ruptured at 25. So we still have to think, what happen between that 25 to 28 week period. And the big thing is pulmonary hypoplasia, okay? Underdevelopment of the lungs. You need surfactant. Surfactant is a protein that's found in amniotic fluid. The baby swallows it, absorbs surfactant into the lungs. That helps produce lung tissue. If you don't have surfactant, then those lung pockets don't develop. And so that is called underdevelopment of the lungs or pulmonary hypoplasia. So even if you make it, to 34 to 36 weeks, which is when we would deliver somebody that has PPROM, you still have that risk of pulmonary hypoplasia because your rupture happened at, uh, before the 26th week. Okay, over 26 weeks, we still have a risk, but not as much of a risk because 26 weeks is a very crucial gestational age for development of the lung. Okay, 
So pulmonary hypoplasia is the biggest risk that you're faced with there. But you've made it to 28 weeks and for every day that you get is a good day, okay? Even if we're like, we wanna make it to 34 and zero, we're literally trying to make it to 34 weeks, not 33 and six, 34 and zero, because every day counts. At 28 weeks, in addition to pulmonary hypoplasia, there's an increased risk of intraventricular hemorrhage. It's not as high now because you made it to 28 weeks, but it's still a risk of brain bleeds, okay, or bleeds in the brain. Um, increased risk of NICU stay. So for every week a baby's born early, that's a week in the NICU. So we talk about 28 weeks, we're talking a long time in the NICU. Still have an increased risk of necrotizing intercolitis or uh, what's called sort of undevelopment of the bowel or infection that can happen in the bowel. The baby could need a feeding tube if born at that 28 to 32 week mark. There could be cognitive delay for preterm baby, not as much as before 28 weeks. Okay, let me tell you, 28 weeks is something to celebrate, okay? That is a milestone. So I'm telling you all these risks, but I want you to stay positive because we are excited that you made it to 28 weeks. And then the next milestone will be 32 weeks. Why? Because we know that the risk of neurologically intact survival is super high. We're talking about 80%, baby. It is high. So if we get everybody the 32 weeks, we will be rejoicing, okay? But that 28 to 32 week time period is very, very crucial in terms of brain development. That's what's happening. Um, so we can have cognitive delay before that 32 week mark, um, as well as uh, intraventricular hemorrhage or hemorrhaging in the brain, lungs, you're going to have the risk of lungs all the way up until 39 weeks. There's always a risk of respiratory distress syndrome. And so that's why we give you the steroids that we mentioned in the last case to accelerate lung development. The brain, that's why we give you magnesium that was mentioned the last time to stabilize brain cells to prevent seizures and those infarcts that can happen in babies. But for every week that you gain, that's a milestone. Survivability goes up, okay? Neurologically intact survival at 28 weeks, still high, but we want to make it to 32 weeks to make sure that our neurologically intact survival is 80 to 85%. Okay, so that is the goal. So I would encourage you to continue to stay positive. And, and once people get in the hospital for about a month, they're ready to go. So find you something to do, start a blog, crochet, talk to friends, FaceTime people, color, do puzzles, like find something to keep your mind occupied because it is really hard to be in a room on bed rest in the hospital with people going in and out, checking on you. And you have quite a few more weeks that you still have left to go. You have six more weeks you still have left to go. So just stay positive and know that you're doing the right thing. And this is a really good gestational age if you wanted to fully intervene where your baby could survive outside of the NICU and have... Um, you know, normal cognition. Okay. But every week is what we're trying to get week after week. The case pearl for this case is rupture of membranes before 26 weeks poses a risk of neonatal pulmonary hypoplasia, which is underdevelopment of the lungs, regardless of gestational age delivered. However, that does not mean that that will happen and we're going to stay positive. All right. Do we have any emailed cases? We do. This one says, Dr. Plenty, I had a premature rupture of membranes at 24 weeks and lost my last pregnancy. I also have type 2 diabetes managed with insulin. During my last pregnancy, my A1C was 8.1% at the beginning of the pregnancy and improved to 7.8% prior to my 24-week delivery. 
I had a classic C-section because my baby was breech and my cervix started dilating. I was so confused because I really only had a small amount of cramping, but was told that I was already seven centimeters dilated. Can anything be done with my next pregnancy to prevent this from happening? Also, I would like to have a vaginal delivery in the future. Is this possible? Let's start with the vaginal delivery. Okay. No, it's not possible. Okay. You had a classical C-section, which means that you had an up and down incision on your uterus, not on the skin. Cause people say, well, I have a bikini cut. No, we'll do a bikini cut on the skin, but on the inside of your uterus. Okay. If you had a classical uh, up and down incision on your uterus, you have a 10% risk of that previous incision coming open called a uterine rupture. So you cannot have a vaginal delivery. We are not going to run that risk. Nope. You need a repeat C-section with your next pregnancy. There's no way to sugarcoat that. You need a repeat C-section. People that have had myomectomies, okay, an open myomectomy, guess what? You're in the same boat. You have to have a repeat C- You have to have a C-section, even a primary C-section. There's no skating around that, okay? And you need to have it at 37 weeks. So right when you're full term. Why? Because we don't want to wait till you're 39 weeks and you're contracting all the time. We want to make sure that we get this baby out before the rupture happens. So you need a C-section at 37 weeks. I'm sorry, it's not what you want to hear. But at the same time, you want to be here for this baby. And you want to make sure the baby is safe. It doesn't mean you can't have a baby. It just means you need a C-section having the baby. And let me tell you, a C-section is not the end of the world. I had a C-section. I look at my baby and I'm just, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to even have carried him. So trust me, how you deliver is not the end of the world. Trust me on this, okay? We want you to be safe. We want you to be here for this baby. So yes, you need a C-section. I can't sugarcoat that. Now let's go to... What can you do to prevent this from happening? Let's start here. This is not your fault. There's nothing that you could have done that prevents rupture of membranes. Nothing, okay? Especially not with your first baby. We couldn't have predicted that. So this is not your fault, mama. Don't beat yourself up about this. This is nothing that you did. And honestly, really nothing your OB did because it's your, if it's your first pregnancy, they wouldn't have even known to monitor you for this. But it does seem like there's a couple of things that we can do to maximize the next pregnancy. So the things that you can do that didn't cause this is make sure that you're going to decrease your risk of any complications at all. First things first, I want your hemoglobin A1C at 6%. Okay. Once we get to 8%, we have a higher risk of having things like heart defects, brain defects, um, abnormalities in babies. So we don't want that to happen. And I know that this was not the case for this 24 week baby, but with the next time we're trying to plan and we're trying to make sure that we're tip top shape. Okay. So make sure that we get your hemoglobin A1C down. Okay. 6% is the goal. We'll accept anything under 7%, but 6% is the goal. Okay. So things you can do, make sure you're not eating anything fried. Don't drink your calories. If you go in, if you need something sweet to drink, like a soft drink, make sure it's, it's diet or sugar-free, okay? Make sure all of your desserts are sugar-free. Make sure to incorporate exercise, some type of daily activity, 30 minutes a day, five days a week. We want 150 minutes a week, basically, of some type of cardio activity. Those are things you can do to get that hemoglobin A1C down. And I would not plan to get pregnant until your hemoglobin A1C is around 6%. Anybody that has had a classical C-section, you need to wait about a year. 
a pregnancy in less than a year is considered a high risk pregnancy. So we want to make sure you are at a year or over before you get pregnant the next time. But I want your A1C to be at 6% before you get pregnant. Other things specifically related to the premature rupture of membranes. It sounds as if you might have some component of cervical insufficiency. We have a show that we talked about that in the past. Make sure to go listen to it. But if you have cervical insufficiency, that means that you have painless cervical dilation. With you saying you only had a little bit of cramping before and you were all of a sudden seven centimeters, to me, that's really hallmark. So I don't know exactly what's going on with your case, but I would ask your OBGYN, hey, did I have cervical insufficiency or do you think I have cervical insufficiency? Because if you had cervical insufficiency with that pregnancy, then you likely will be a candidate for what's called a cerclage or a stitch to keep the cervix closed, okay? And like I said, there's an episode that's called Who Gets the who gets the stitch? Go listen to that episode because that's a stitch that basically cinches the cervix closed to try to prevent you from having painless cervical dilation in future pregnancies. Okay. Now, obviously there are some people that shouldn't get a cerclage. So please talk to your OBGYN to see if you're a good candidate or not, but the treatment for cervical insufficiency is the stitch. Okay. The other piece is you likely may need some vaginal progesterone or what's called McKenna injections. Now, McKenna injections are very controversial right now. There's some train of thought that says they don't work. There's some train of thought that says they do work. I think they work, okay? So I like to recommend them anytime somebody has a history of preterm delivery, but sometimes your insurance doesn't cover it. So then I would recommend the second best, which is vaginal progesterone. Again, Talk to your provider to see which they prefer and if you are a candidate for that, okay? And I say that because if something else was the reason, like you had a placental abruption or there was a there was a birth defect that caused you to go into preterm labor, like those, th- or there was a chromosome abnormality, then you would not be a candidate for uh, a cerclage per se, and you would not necessarily be a candidate for vaginal progesterone. So just make sure you talk to your provider to see what really went on. But even... If, if you're a candidate or not for cerclage, based on more details of your history, I still think you would warrant cervical lengths if you don't get a cerclage to see if your cervix is going to have progressive shortening. If you have progressive shortening, then that tells us and proves to us that you have a degree of cervical insufficiency or a shortened cervix or the strength of your cervix is not strong enough to stay closed and you need a cerclage at that point, Okay. So I would encourage you to talk to your provider. But the high points, make sure your hemoglobin A1C is under control before you get pregnant. Wait a year before pregnancy before because of the classic C-section. And talk to your provider about progesterone supplementation with your next pregnancy, as well as whether you need a sarcolage versus monitoring the length of your cervix with cervical lengths vaginally. Okay, that is what I would do. So I think that's all the cases for today. And my medical intern is shaking her head yes. So thanks for listening to the Pregnancy Pros Podcast. I hope you've learned a little bit more about rupture of membranes in pregnancy or your water breaking. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, make sure to rate and leave a comment on your preferred platform. And don't keep me a secret. Make sure to share this episode as well as the podcast with your friends. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or a unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. 
Be sure to also subscribe to the YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash pregnancy pearls with Dr. Plenty for more quick talks about pregnancy complication. And y'all, there should be a new YouTube video coming out this week. I have been slacking on the YouTube, but I plan to catch up. So make sure to tune in. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.